welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. This morning I want to read from, from a passage of scripture that might test us a little bit. Who likes challenge? Who likes challenge? All right, this half of the room, I'll stay over here because you guys indicated this, this section over here. You guys can just kind of watch on. Challenge. You know, the, 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 to, to be challenged is, is actually a, a gift from God when he challenges us. I was talking to Jake this morning and I asked him, what's the, what's the most challenging thing? Because he loves going out into, the adventure, into the, to nature and going out adventuring and does all these hikes and all these different things. And um, just ask, what's the most, uh, you know, challenging hike you've done and he said about was it the Bibliament? Bluff Knoll climb who's ever climbed Bluff Knoll before there's a few of us I haven't so I shouldn't have my hand up but Bluff Knoll is a big mountain and you can go up there and climb it and it takes what a couple of hours to get up there Jake how how long how fast were you an hour so he was obviously like on a helicopter or something because he got up there that quickly, but you know, when you're prepping to, to climb a mountain, or if you listen to someone who has told you, who tells you about the mountain that they climbed, they'll be telling you that uh, you know they had to walk for hours, that it was difficult to go up the terrain, that they had to navigate the twists and the turns, and uh, probably in Bluff Knoll there was. You know, wild tigers and lions that you had to watch out for, or elephants, or in Albany, what is it, sheep? There might be sheep or goats that are on that mountain that are, that are going to kind of come at you, and you've got to navigate all those different things, as well as just, you know, walking for hours on end, carrying stuff, the, the weight of what you're carrying. And uh, you can listen to someone else talk about the challenge and have the illusion that you have been challenged. You can hear about someone else who has walked through it or, or, or the challenge of what, what they've been through and just hearing about it, we, we think, oh, that's, that's challenging. And we can fall into a trap of being in, in this illusion that you have been challenged just by hearing about the challenge. You might hear a word from God, you might hear something in a sermon and, and you go, oh, that was challenging. But how many of us understand that unless you participate in the challenge, you weren't actually challenged? We can live in the illusion that we're going through, that we're being challenged by God's word without actually participating in the challenge that God's word would put to us. You might have heard me talk about this before. I'm not a huge camper. Anyone like camping? I know the men went away on camp recently uh, and, and they love that, you know, going out. I don't know why you want to pretend you're homeless and go and sleep in the bush for a couple of days. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense for me. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. Uh, with spiders and snakes and goats and sheep again. But wild tigers and elephants, whatever you might you know, come across as you're camping, it doesn't sound to me like a whole heap of fun. Uh, but I do like the idea of being in nature and being out in God's creation, enjoying the, the freshness of, of the air and enjoying the, the stars and, and you know, seeing all of God's beautiful creation. But I don't like the idea of sleeping in a tent. And so you may have heard this before, I think I've referred to this before, the whole concept of glamping. 
You've heard of that before. Can we show those pictures, please, Lockie? Uh, this is the kind of tent. So what happened was people thought, you know, we want, there, are this, there is this group of people who would like to go camping but don't want the roughing it of camping. And so they said, let's create this thing called glamping, which is glamour camping. And they mixed the two things together and they've created these. They, these are like actual places that you can go to where you want to camp but it's comfortable. Like there's beds, there's TVs, there's like a couch there. So you're out in nature, but you're at home. It's like a perfect blend, a perfect mixture of the two. And uh, it gives, well, here's the thing, it gives the illusion that you are camping because you're out in nature, but you're actually nice and comfortable. What happens to us as Christians when we have the illusion that we're following Jesus. But the comfort of our own lives. When Jesus says to come and follow me, he calls us to let go of our lives and follow him. And what, what, there, there is this danger in our time right now, in this culture right now. And I feel like it's, it's probably you know, in, in a place where it hasn't been before. I feel like we have the, the whole idea of following Jesus, but our lives are actually nice and comfortable in the glamping tent. And I want to read today from a passage of Scripture where Jesus kind of puts it on the line for people and makes it real clear what he is calling them to. From the gospel according to Luke, his his, uh, retelling of the, the gospel here in Luke chapter 14. We want to read from verse 25. And I hope that this does bring us to a place where we consider what God is calling us to and how he's calling us to follow. Because I, I've seen this, this uh, I won't just say illusion, but I see this, this temptation to move towards a Christianity that is completely about us and our comfort and our happiness rather than about Jesus and what he's calling us to. And a mixture and a blending of the two. And I feel like If as someone who preaches the word of God, I call you to anything other than complete surrender to Jesus, I shortchange you. Because full surrender to Jesus is actually the place of victory. When we wave that white flag and we say, Jesus, I submit and surrender to your lordship, that is the place of breakthrough. That is the place of victory. And I don't want to call us to a place of thinking that we are following Jesus, but really kind of glamping. So let's open up to Luke chapter 14 and verse 25. It says this, A large crowd was following Jesus. I'm going to read this whole passage and then go back and break, through it, break, uh, break it down. Large, uh, verse 24, it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and he said to them, If you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? 
Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say they started the building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against them? And if he can't, will he, send, he will send a delegation of, to discuss the terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Verse 34, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for mature, uh, mature, <laughs> manure. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's the word of God. That's Jesus talking to his disciples, talking to the crowd of people. It starts off there in verse 25, and it says that there was a loud, large crowd of people who were following Jesus. And he turns to them, and he gives them some sort of an altar call. He sees this huge, large crowd that's been following him, possibly because of the miracles that they've seen, the things that they've heard, and they're watching and they're, and they're walking along with him. And his reaction to that is to call to them and to clarify what they're actually following. He says to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Now let's have a think about this. Jesus is, is not... He's not, he's not driven by crowds. He's not swayed by numbers. He's not swayed by popular opinion. He's not swayed by what the whole general consensus of that crowd would think. Jesus doesn't go to them and say, look, here is what I'm thinking. I've got a couple of ideas. I've got a couple of options for you. Would you like to, A, follow me with your whole life, B, come for a portion of it, see, just jump in and out. He says to them, this is the call, it's to follow me into a place of total surrender. See, Jesus isn't swayed by the size of the group. He's not swayed by the, the size of the crowd. He is not going to bend and change his conviction on truth because of popular consensus. He will speak truth and he will call people to that place of truth because he understands that truth is what sets us free. He knows that if, if he was to, to kind of bend that, or Jesus can't do that because he himself is truth, but just saying, if he was to, to kind of short change it or to, to kind of diminish it or water it down or, or just kind of shave a bit of it off, he would be calling you to something other than full surrender to a place of total truth and that in that place of total, total truth being set free. And so Jesus doesn't get tempted to change the message or the call based on people. And I don't think we should either. 
I don't think that we should change the gospel or try to tailor the gospel in a way that would become more palatable, more tolerable, more acceptable. Because we, in doing that, we actually water down and diminish the power of the gospel, which is that which will bring people to salvation. The power of the word of God. We're not uh, allowed to. We're not called to. We should not try and water down the gospel or the message Because truth is what sets people free. And when we start playing and tampering with truth, then we actually bring bring people not into, into freedom, but into captivity. With the illusion of freedom, which is probably even worse and possibly even more dangerous because we think we're in that place of freedom. So Jesus says to those who are following him, this large crowd, he's not changing his message. He's not, he's not t- turning to Peter and saying, how many people are following me this week? He's not looking at his Twitter or his Instagram for how many likes he's getting. He's just come to preach the message that will bring freedom, that will bring life, that will bring people back into relationship with God. He's not swayed by what this group says or what that group says. He's not swayed by what the king said or what the emperor said. He came to preach the gospel. He came to give truth. And as followers of Jesus, our role, our, our call, is to call is to come to that place as well where we don't try to diminish the truth of God's word, where we don't try to even to try and defend his word, to think that we have to, but to just preach Jesus, to preach Christ, Christ crucified. So he calls them to this group. But then he says these things to him. And I've got just a couple of thoughts from this, a couple of points here. The first one being this, as we consider discipleship, which is what Jesus was saying. He didn't want crowds. He wanted disciples. He wasn't impressed by numbers. He wanted disciples. He wanted people who would follow him and continue his call. Uh, Here is a thought. Discipleship will display our devotion. Discipleship will display our devotions. And so as Jesus calls the, the, to these people, he says, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, when we see something that kind of seems like it might not fit with the context of Scripture, e.g. E- here, Jesus saying that you must hate your mother and father, where else in Scripture we see the Word of God is clear that we're called to honor uh, our mother and father. Or or Jesus says that we should pray for our enemies. We've got to kind of look into that and see what that actually means. And I think the NLT actually translates that in a way that captures the essence of what that phrase meant, which was, by comparison to mother, father, husband, wife, children, your own life, The love that you have for Jesus will almost make everything else look like it's not love for others. In the sense that I have such devotion for him that it affects every other relationship that I have. That he is the first and foremost relationship, my love for him, my following of him, and that affects every other relationship that I have. I don't think he's saying that you necessarily have to cut off everyone in your life. You know, this scripture has been twisted to create cults in the past where where you cut off everyone that that isn't following Jesus in your life. But what he is saying is that when when you want to follow me, then I become the Lord of all or I'm not Lord at all. He calls us to a place of complete surrender 
complete moving under the submission of his lordship. And from that, everything else flows. Now, this sounds like, uh, you know, again, it sounds like it's a challenge. Imagine the people in the crowd that heard that who, who would have said, what? I, I need to potentially not have, you know, not listen to what this person says anymore because now I'm listening to Jesus. It sounds like a challenge, but it becomes real when you actually have to walk through it. And I know there are people in this room who have said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And because they've said that, it's affected other relationships. It's affected their family. It's affected uh, some marriages. It's affected some fathers, mothers, children. It's affected their relationships because they say that I am now following Jesus. He is first in my life and everything else has to fall into place. And, and there are people who potentially have, you know, have been estranged in relationships because of this. Well, here's the thing. Jesus said that was, there's potential that that's going to happen. There is potential that, that some of the relationships that you have are going to change in dynamic because you're following Jesus. Are you prepared for that? Are you okay with that? Because if you're not, then maybe you're not ready to follow. That's what he's saying. Challenging? Yes. I know there are people even in this room whose you know, relationships have changed because they've said, no, I'm following Jesus. Some friendships stopped. Some friendship dynamics changed because they said, Jesus first. Jesus is the one that I'm following. I, me and my wife, we've, we've worked through this and we, we've come to this place where we, we have spoken about not being the love of each other's life. She knows that it's Jesus first. And in that, she's going to get the best love that she can get from me when he is first. Anything other than that, I'm shortchanging her for the love that I can give to her. And it's the same. Because if I put her above God then my priorities, my order is out of order and then life doesn't flow the way that Jesus would, would have it to flow. So there's a different love level that, that has to be in this relationship. And Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, I've got to be first. There's, there's not a debate about this. It's not, you can have me and, uh, you know, add me to your life and just chuck me in the mix with all the other priorities and all the other things and I'll kind of just be another thing that's part of your life. It's like, no, if you are going to follow me, I'm Lord. Right now in this society, that is not a popular thought because we don't like to be mastered by anyone because we don't like to be told what to do by anyone. But when we understand the character and the nature of Jesus, the, 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 the heart of God, we, we then start to see, hang on a second, everything he calls us to is from that, that expression of his love. And we yield in submission, in surrender, not because he tries to stomp us, because our hearts yield voluntarily. Because we desire his leadership. We, we, we want to honor him with our lives. But discipleship is always going to show up and display your devotions. He says, if you're going to follow me, it's going to become pretty clear, not just to, to me, but to everyone else around you, what matters in your life. 
If you want to follow me, it's going to show up what the devotion of your heart is. And what a great challenge it is, isn't it? Following Jesus shows us what is difficult, what's going on in our hearts, what our devotions are. And it's often not until he brings us to a stage or he brings us to a decision that we say, hang on a second, there's something there that I actually have my trust in. Or there's something there that has my devotion that is not him. And what a great opportunity to draw on his grace to be able to follow him. Whilst it's challenging, here is the beauty. He gives grace for everything he calls us to. He gives us grace for everything that he leads us through. His grace is sufficient at all times for what we need. His grace, is, his grace is so good that he calls us to this place of complete dependence, surrender to him. And then he says, I will do the work in you if you just open your heart. It's not, it's not just about you gritting your teeth and trying your hardest to, to do this. It's about him working in your heart, changing your heart, changing your desires to make your devotions more and more about him. And less and less about us. He says it again to them. He's like, you, even to love your own life. Your maturity in Christ will take us to the place where we see that he is more concerned with our holiness than our happiness. Again, we, we kind of live in, 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 a, in a world that is all about what makes you feel good. What, what, what actually makes you feel good? What's the vibe? If it's a good vibe, then go with it. If it feels good, then do it. But Jesus is more concerned with your holiness than he is with your happiness. And I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to experience joy. The two things are different. But he, he, he wants us to have deep joy in him, which then manifests and, and spreads through the rest of life. But he will lead us to places where sometimes our, our good feelings are tested. Where those vibes are checked. And we've got to make a decision. Are we going to follow him? Or are we just going to follow our feelings? Are we going to hold on to our life so much that we miss what he is doing? Discipleship will always display our devotions. It will show you what is in your heart as you follow him. And we want to be people who... Follow him and allow him to do what he wants to do in us. Here's the second, second thought there. Uh, disciples make difficult decisions. I heard this phrase maybe two or three years ago and it stuck with me and it's become part of my counsel to people. Is that disciples will make difficult decisions. We're not led by what is convenient or by what is easy, but by what Jesus calls us to. He says there, in, again, don't begin construction until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Can I just say that in, in today's world, that's not actually crazy. People do that all the time. It's called a mortgage. People... Start something impulsively, compulsively, without considering what they're actually saying yes to. 
Following Jesus is not an emotional response. There may be times when, he, when, when our emotions respond to him, but you can't follow him based on the feels and the cries that you got during an altar call once. This is a lifelong commitment. We, again, we, 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 we don't see that in this culture. I might feel like, I feel like I am stirring culture a bit. That's okay because I don't want us to, to live in the status quo or to just accept what is, what is normal to everyone else shouldn't necessarily be normal to the Christian. But commitment even, to commit our lives to him. Commitment now is a thing that we choose when suits us. Marriage has been watered down because of this. Commit when it's good and then when it's difficult. Not. To follow Jesus is to commit your life to him for the rest of your life. To say yes to him is to follow him for the rest of your days. He says... Don't do it unless you consider the cost. Don't, you wouldn't make this type of decision unless you actually thought about it first. What does that say to us? That says that Jesus, said, Jesus thought that following him was not just an airy-fairy decision that you get to make today and then change tomorrow. He, he's like, if you are in, you are in. You're going to follow me, then you're going to follow me. And it may cost you relationships. It may cost you different things. It may not be comfortable at times. There may not be nice double beds at times. Are you, are you prepared for this, to follow me? Are you prepared for the time when you go home and, and someone says something to you and, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to live like that because I'm following Jesus now. And then they say, no, no, no. Well, I don't want a relationship with you. Are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for your whole life changing? We talk about giving. We talk about our finances. Are you prepared to submit your finances to the Lordship of Jesus? Well, mm, he can have like 10%. He can have like what's left over on Thursday when I am about to get paid on Friday. Uh, will you surrender your sexuality to the Lordship of Jesus? Because to follow him is to follow him with your whole life. It's not this area here, I'm with you, Jesus. But this area here, this is a no-go zone. Because this is how I like it and this is what I like. I can see faces right now, I'm staring. It's good. I can feel it myself. This area here, Jesus, no, no, that's mine. You can have that and that and that. But what's in here, I don't want you to, to go in there because I like this. What about that sin? Why do we sin? Because you enjoy it. Because it tempts you. I have never, ever been tempted by a pickle. Because I don't like pickles. Never. If the devil was going to tempt me, he would not use a Pickle. He used like a nice donut or something. Why? Because I enjoy donuts. 
Why do we live in that place? Because there's part of us that enjoys it. And Jesus says, come out of that space, come out of the darkness and into the light. And he gives us the grace for it, but he calls us to it. Disciples make difficult decisions. Disciples make difficult decisions. Here is the, the, I guess it kind of goes a little bit deeper, is that the decisions become less difficult when the devotion is there. When When the desire changes. So I've shared before that when I came to Jesus, I struggled with alcohol. It, it was life controlling. My whole life was like lived around the bottle. And in the first few years of following Jesus, that was a struggle that I had to constantly come back to him for. The, the, the decision to not go to this party, this uh, you know, friend's house, or the decision not to have that drink. That decision over and over was difficult but there came a time as I followed him that he changed my heart. And that decision is no longer difficult for me because the desire has changed. So there, is a time, there, there, there comes a place where we, we make those difficult decisions and then God works in our hearts and those decisions become a little, bit dif- uh, little less difficult. But then there might be a different decision that we need to make that's difficult. But here's the thing, disciples make those decisions. Garfield mentioned last week about uh, the, the indecision and how the enemy actually wants us to not make a decision because he steals from us in that place. And how we are called to actually make decisions and disciples make difficult ones. Disciples make difficult decisions. We just do. And those decisions are based upon Jesus. What his word says, what he would say to us, not just what we think is the right thing, not just what others think is the right thing, but what Jesus would say. What does he say? I heard this this week. Casual Christians become Christian casualties. If, if we're kind of casual in our faith towards Jesus, then we may end up being wiped out throughout difficult times or trials or whatever may, may come. When Jesus calls to his disciples here, he says, if you are going to follow me, you've got to be prepared that some stuff's going to change in your world. He'll change us in our hearts, but things around us might change as well. And he says, are you still willing to come and follow me. Disciples make difficult decisions. If I was to ask you to look through your life, even in the last couple of years, and you could explain your life without God in it, I wonder what that would say. Are you with me? If you could explain the last few years without mentioning Jesus, without talking about what he's done, how he's led you, then it may cause us to question some stuff. Because his lordship, as he calls us the discipleship, is not just the one-off decision. 
It's the daily decision to follow Jesus in everything. It's the daily decision to go to him with everything. It's the daily decision to, to hold everything lightly before him and allow him to do what he wants to in that day and as a result of that day. It's the ongoing decision of our hearts to follow him day in and day out. And here is what, I guess there's a term that, that has been coined for this, which is radical discipleship. Isn't it funny that even church culture would say that anyone who gives their lives to follow Jesus is radical? But that's actually normal. That is what discipleship is. And so it, it, I think it's a little bit funny that we would see someone who sells everything to follow Jesus or they, they move interstate or they move to a new, new country, they become a missionary, whatever it may be, they, they take another job to follow Jesus. And we think, man, that is radical. Why is that considered radical? Because it's not normal. Why would that not be considered normal if that was what we are all called to do? Is to follow him in every way. Normal discipleship should be radical in our eyes, in the, in the world's eyes, but normal in our eyes. This is just what we do. This is just who we are. We follow Jesus in everything. He is the Lord. He, he is the one who leads. He is the one who saves. He is the one who guides. We just move in that direction. Disciples make difficult decisions. When you are faced with a decision, who is your go-to? What do you go to? Where do you go for, for counsel? The Word of God? People of God? The Spirit of God? Or to the world or to someone else? I have this conversation as well with people, young people who are getting married. This might throw, throw, you know, throw you off a bit. But young people getting married and, and the consideration is, you know, we, we just got to save so that we can buy a house. In my question, and not that that's a wrong thing, who told you that? Well, no one really told us that. That's just what you do is you save and then you buy a house. Did God say that to you? No. Then you're going to commit the rest of the next 30 years of your life to something that you're doing because someone else says that's what we do or that's normal. And again, I'm not saying that that's wrong, but I want to test where are your decisions coming from? Who is informing the decisions that you make? Are we going to Jesus with what we have and what, with all of those decisions and then making that decision even when he says to do something that we don't want to do. Because I really have my dream in this area. And all my hopes are in this area. And he says, no, I'm going to lead you in this direction. I'm talking to Andrew on Friday. And he was saying about how he's had his whole house set up. Remember that in Spain they built the, or they, they renovated this whole house and they said, I'm going to retire here and they're going to do my funeral here, basically, is what he said. Like, this is where we are in Spain for the rest of our lives. Not long after that, 
they end up in Australia. And he said that that was a struggle to let go of what he had dreamed and hoped for. But Jesus is first. And Jesus is the one that they follow, not just what we hold on to in this life. Is this making sense? Is this challenging? Good. We're climbing Bluff Knoll. Watch out for the goats. I'll finish off with this. He says here in um, verse 34, it says, Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for mature. I said it again, manure. Mature pile. Manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. It almost seems abstract that Jesus would put that in this part of, of his, his discourse, in his conversation. But discipleship dis- distinguishes your deliciousness. Can you say that with me? Discipleship distinguishes your deliciousness. What makes you, uh, what makes you flavorsome in this life is not the choice of clothes, It's not your career or vocation. It is your closeness and proximity to Jesus. It's the closeness by which you follow him. That is what makes us different. That is what brings flavor. That is what what Jesus called his salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. You have flavor. You make change. You preserve. you, you, You bring influence because of who I have created you to be. But then he says, if salt loses its saltiness, it's not good for anything, even poo, the manure pile. It's not even good for that. What is he saying to us? He's saying that discipleship will actually determine and distinguish your deliciousness. It is what gives you flavor. It is what sets you apart. It is your relationship with him and how you follow him that, that, that opens your life to this world, to, 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 for people to see him. But when you lose that, when you walk in your own direction, you lose the saltiness, you lose the flavor, and that is worth nothing. It's a calling to continuously be close to him, in relationship with him, following him. And that is what makes us salt, is our relationship with him. Not our ability to influence culture, not our ability to, to be relevant, not our ability to, to do whatever we think we need to do to be able to reach people. It's our proximity and our relationship with him that makes the difference. And so we got people who are trying to preach a gospel of a Jesus that they are not close to. And the message is confusing. And the message is distorted. And the message isn't necessarily helping anyone. And he says, when you are following me, you're like salt. You're like salt in this earth. But when you follow your own desires, when you go in your own selfish direction, then you you lose the flavor. And so we call people to be salt, but still be self. And Jesus is like, "That, that stuff doesn't work. The saltiness actually comes from Christ's likeness being formed in you. 
See, the more that you follow him, the closer you get to him, the more you journey with him, the more as you, you are being discipled by him, the more his life starts to come out in yours. The more you listen, the more you sound like him, the more you look like him, the more you act like him, the more of his love and his heart starts to come out of you. And that is what distinguishes us from everything else. And it is that that this world needs. It is his life in us that this world needs. We, we, don't, we don't get to say, you know, Jesus, we think that this is what the world needs. We think that this is the, the cure to sin. We think that this is the, the remedy for brokenness. We think that this is, we got this great idea. Jesus will build his church. He just calls us to make disciples, to be and make disciples. Challenging. But he gives grace. For that which he calls us to, he will empower us for. Freedom is actually the ability to say no to this world. The ability to say no to sin. The ability to say yes to God. That is freedom. And Jesus leads us to this place of freedom in discipleship. We are yeah, walking. I don't, the, the, the older I get, I'm getting pretty old now. The older I get, the more I walk into rooms and forget why I'm there. I'm getting so good at it, I have to kind of think of like excuses for why I might be in a room. The most embarrassing is when you walk into a room and other people are in the room and then you forget why you went into the room and they like, what are you doing? We can't be like that as a church where we forget why we're here, where we are so caught up in everything that's happening around us that we forget why we're here. He has called us to be salt and light. He has called us to be his followers, to, to follow him, to live by his word, to live by truth. To participate in his life and to show his glory and his love to this world. And his call is not, it hasn't changed. It actually has not changed since he, he called these disciples. He says, If you want to follow me, this is. Serious. This is whole life kind of stuff. This is like, if you call me Lord, things are going to change. Things are, are going to continue to change. And perhaps at first we're a little bit cautious, hesitant, because we're worried about what we need to give up. But can I tell you, when you get a taste of Jesus... You're ready to give it up. 
when you get a taste of Jesus and who He really is, it's like, no, I don't want that anymore. That life of hot and cold, in and out, here and there, up and down, I don't want that anymore. I want Jesus. It's Jesus or nothing. It's Jesus and nothing. It's just Jesus. I just want Jesus. And, and you watch what He can do with your life when you submit yourself, when you surrender yourself to Him, to follow Him. Such a blessing to find things in Scripture that challenge us, that don't let us just kind of float through life. But call us again to that place of complete surrender to Him. Total devotion to Him. If anyone wants to follow, the invitation was to the whole crowd, but I bet you, guarantee you not everyone did. But those who did, experienced life in all of its fullness life everlasting eternal and so the call to us today again is to make that decision to perhaps keep Jesus as Lord and as temptation comes as culture calls as this tries to pull your attention and your devotion it's to say no Jesus first Jesus or nothing Jesus and nothing Jesus is Lord I want to pray for us this morning I, I feel like as God you know, as his word comes forth he gives opportunity to us to respond in our hearts and we can just think that that is the response to salvation but every time the, the word goes forth he desires something to take place in it and so I want to pray for us this morning that uh, as, as, as God's word is challenging our hearts to be completely committed completely surrendered to him that, our, that, that the grace would come for us to do that, that our hearts would be changed, that our desires would be changed, and that we would delight in it. I love following Jesus. I, made it, I probably made it sound like climbing a mountain. I absolutely love it. There is no other life that I could ever choose than this. Difficult, yeah. There's decisions, yeah. Sometimes it's tough, yeah. But there is nothing more satisfying. There is nothing more fulfilling than following Jesus. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.